Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. There were elements that were just great and felt felt like uh, the Camino should. And then there were moments where, yeah, you could tell that, you know, this thing was still in the reawakening stage. That's this week's guest, Jason Searle. Now, you'll remember that I spoke to Jason two years ago about the amazing life of the U.S. Army chaplain father, Emile Capone. And I like to think of myself as a storyteller. And you all are part of my story. We're all part of St. James's story. We're all part of the dialogue, the to and fro of pilgrimage. And I stay in touch with my guests and many of my listeners, and it's a gift that I couldn't be more thankful for. Jason and his fellow parishioners in Wichita, Kansas, honour Father Capone in a series of videos and podcasts. Jason's part of what's called Capone's Men. And you can find those videos and podcasts via caponesmen.com. They're magic. And they want to make young people great people. They want to build community. They want to teach us that we all matter. You and I matter. Our decisions matter. Our choices matter. If you have the chance to lead, lead. If you have the chance to guide, be someone who guides by shining light. Capone's men and Jason's whole community has an audience, they hope, is global. Their devotion is pure. Their aim is to raise awareness of someone who gave selflessly to spread Jesus' message of peace and goodwill. Much like St. James, in whose footsteps we walk, El Camino de Santiago, the way of St. James. Like I said, it's a, a great story. Father Capone was a Catholic priest and U.S. Army captain who served as a chaplain during World War II and the Korean War. In 1993, he was declared by then Pope John Paul II to be what's called a servant of God, the first step on the road to canonization or sainthood. And he was awarded the U.S. Medal of Honor in 2013, the United States' highest honor for valor. He served in World War II and then returned to Kansas, and then the Korean War broke out. He died in a prisoner of war camp. Jason sent me a photograph of Father Capone celebrating Mass in the Korean War on the front bonnet of an army jeep. If you're interested, that Last discussion I had with Jason is week 152 of My Camino, the podcast. Golly, sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? 152. Here we are, I think, 240-something. But we talked in that interview about Father Capone and his enduring legacy and pilgrims walk each year from Wichita to Pilsen in Kansas in his honour. It's a pilgrimage. It's a great chat, so have a listen. Week 152. So the reason I'm talking to Jason Searle again is he's just returned from the Camino. And I thought we'd get an update of what's going on. Everyone's dying to get back there. You almost get the feeling that COVID is sneaking up on us again. I'm the ultimate optimist, and I'm going to be touring again in 2022. I'm coming to your neck of the woods to sing songs and tell stories, and we're going to celebrate the joy of the Camino in your hometown. And I refuse to believe otherwise, except the fact that we are in hard lockdown in Sydney right now. But I love the old saying, don't lose hope. When the sun goes down, the stars come out. So what's happening on the Camino today, tonight, tomorrow? Jason Searle is back in Kansas. Welcome, Pilgrim. Hey, thanks, Dan. Appreciate the introduction and great to talk to you again. Yeah, it is great to talk to you. It's okay. 
you just come back from Spain, the Camino. What was it like? Oh, uh, thanks for, thanks again for having me. And, and, uh, yep, we, we were, uh, as soon as we got the clearance here in America that Spain was going to start to let people in who were vaccinated, uh, I, I had contracted, uh, COVID back in February. Uh, it was, it wasn't that bad, but I, you know, I was the mild symptoms that you hear about. And I went ahead and I got vaccinated, uh, when the vaccines became available, pretty widespread here in America, maybe a month after that. And my daughters wanted to go last year, but of course the whole world was locked down in the summer of 2020. But, uh, within probably five days of Spain making that announcement, we booked our trips to, to get over. We flew into Madrid. We took a train from Atocha station there to Pamplona, uh, met with several pilgrims on the train. We all got a car together and headed over the Pyrenees to St. John, the same Camino we had done in 2016. And, uh, same one my wife and I did in 2019. We're kind of a sucker for what we know and, and, uh, really enjoy doing the same route, but the many different elements of the route. And I'd tell you that, um, you know, certainly the mask and the considerations around COVID and the, the Albert Gay sizing being cut down roughly 50%. All, all of those things were expectations that you had. Um, trying to be careful, be clean, respectful, uh, that, that not the rest of you, the whole world isn't where everybody, you know, here in the U.S. is and to follow the local protocols and all of that. But no problems at all. Uh, pretty easy transaction to get into Spain. Just had to show a, you know, a QR code on my iPhone for me and my daughters to, that we had been vaccinated. And uh, it really, that's all it was. I mean, we cleared customs right away and uh, train timing was perfect. Cab timing was perfect. I think we landed in Spain at 930 in the morning and we were having dinner in St. John Pierre de Port uh, that evening at the Pilgrim's office. Uh, it was quiet, but there were lots of pilgrims milling about the city. And when we went to mass that evening at the, the chapel of Notre Dame right there uh, at the archway before you go across yeah. the bridge and, and start heading up the Pyrenees, we probably had, I'm going to guess about a dozen pilgrims in there, which was about half the size of 2016. Uh, and we walked at the exact same timing in 2016 that we did here. Uh, in 2016, my son Matthew and I walked it, but uh, we left within a day of each other. So we had a pretty good comparison of what it was like five years ago, which at the time that was, you know, 2016 was a holy year. The uh, Pope declared the year of mercy. Uh, so all the holy doors, the cathedrals would be open and all that. So the Camino was very, very crowded back then. And we had a pretty good barometer or baseline to compare it to. And day one up the Pyrenees, Dan, uh, I'd say it was pretty close. It, it was less populated, but a lot of pilgrims out and a lot of pilgrims marching up the Pyrenees and, you know, the beautiful day and the clouds below you. And, you know, you could see as far as I could see wow. and just you felt welcome back. And, and I, I tell you, walking into Roncesvalles later that afternoon, uh, I took a picture of uh, the shoe rack at the the big uh, Albergay there, the big monastery, yeah. and just to give me kind of a feel. And the shoe rack was full, right? It, uh, they had sold out all the meals that meal tickets that they had. Yeah. Uh, the Albergay was really at capacity with with the restrictions. So I, I'm guessing that means 
close to 100 pilgrims there in Roncesvalles that first day. And uh, that, so I, I told everybody that night that, hey, it, it feels like the Camino is coming to life, the term that we talk about and we've, we've all expressed in various, you know, your, your podcast and uh, and other forums that are out there. The Camino is really coming back to life and, and that spirit was out there. So I'd say all the way to Pamplona, the first couple days, three days of walking there, um, the Camino felt pretty normal and uh, a, a little less populated than you'd think for uh, for 2021 being, you know, a St. James holy year when the when the feast falls on a Sunday. And so this is a holy year uh, and this was going to be a record blowout year. And, and I tell you this, that um, it was really nice. Uh, and I, I hate to say that, but as somebody who has walked the Camino before and we've all dealt with those crowds and, you know, some of the crowded nature, um, it, it was nice in that. The Camino was, still had a little bit of a break and uh, had some time for the infrastructure to continue to wake up. And it wasn't a big bed race, uh, you know, at least the first two thirds of the Camino. And uh, that that was really nice to probably experience the Camino in a way where it wasn't under so much pressure with, you know, pilgrims scurrying for beds and having yeah. to book ahead and, you know, finding out there's no room at the end and having to take a taxi, a town ahead, that kind of thing. It just didn't exist initially. And that was, it was great. And uh, to see the shop owners and the cafes and the bars and Albert is just so happy to have people and pilgrims back and so welcoming. And the hospitality was a 10 out of 10 pretty much everywhere we went. Yeah. So it was awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that's so great. Wow. what a, It's really refreshing and encouraging to hear that. Um, so you started in St. John. Did you walk all the way to Santiago? Yeah, Dan, it's a uh, uh, two-fold answer there. <laughs> uh, yeah, we went to uh, St. John to Santiago uh, in 2016. My son and I, we, we met this great kind of our Camino families that you developed along the way. And our rhythm and cadence was pretty fast back then. We did it in 24 days, which was mm, that's pretty quick. a lot faster than, yeah, very, very fast. Um, my daughters, they, they're just machines and they walk all the time. And, and I might've mentioned, uh, to you at one point that, uh, when the lockdowns from COVID happened, we built a little spreadsheet and they, you know, looked up different, you know, where would you be on the actual Camino? We plotted every town along the 500 miles. And, uh, you know, so they did a virtual Camino here and they've just, They've, they walked over a thousand miles their senior year in wow. high school. And so they, they were super, super ready and they, they're used to walking long distances and they did it this year in 21 days. So we started July 1st, finished uh, July 21. Wow. Dad here, <laughs> dad uh, had to take, I had to tap out a couple times. Uh, I, I, you know, they, they pushed me, uh, one, one leg you'd appreciate Sahagun to Leon in one day, 55 kilometers oh. and, uh, mother superior there at the, at the Albergate, you know, the convent there, yeah. uh, she, she was concerned for my health. Hey dad, you got to get to night prayer. And I was like, uh, oh, mother, please, uh, <laughs> you, I, I really appreciate what you're doing, but I, I got to lay down, but somehow I rallied and got to night prayer, but it was not a fun walk. Uh, so my daughters, they're great. They really, really hustled it. And it, it wasn't a race by any stretch. They, they just, that's how they move. And they still met friends. They did great. And, 
yeah, we got there four days before the Feast of St. James, which was fantastic. Wow. Uh, so we did the whole thing uh, with an asterisk that had to, you know, I walked the entire thing at 16, and we had a, a tragedy in 2019 that brought us home on a shortened Camino that my wife and I did. But this time I had to take, you know, a couple of cabs and buses and, hey, I'll walk 25 kilometers with you this day, but I'm not walking 50. <laughs> <laughs> but what... <laughs> you just mentioned there that you had to cut short 2019. What happened? Uh, so in 2019, Dan, my uh, uh, my wife and I were celebrating our 25th anniversary, um, and we had a quite a quite a bit of fun stuff planned for that year. And we we were walking the Camino, and um, my father had passed away. Uh, when we got to Las Carias, we found out right below Sobrero uh, in that ascent up that beautiful mountain. So we had. Uh, uh, we had to cut the trip short immediately uh, come home and, uh, and sort all that out uh, and deal with all of that. So, uh, um, so that trip got cut short there. And, yeah. uh, and so in a lot of ways it was good to get back and this Camino kind of had a little bit of unfinished business element to it, I think. And, yeah. uh, got to see it the exact same place in Las Harrias, uh, when we had the tragic news, of, uh, that my father had passed and, um, he was a former army vet and, uh, sadly was dealing with a, a disease that, uh, was really, uh, really an Alzheimer's, uh, cousin disease, if you will. And, mm. and sadly took his own life. So, uh, we, you know, as an emergency to get back and deal with all that and be with my family, especially the kids for them to process what, what had happened there. So, uh, my daughters and I got to stay in that same awesome, uh, you know, hostel there, Pension, right at uh, Las Harrias. And they remembered calling the cab for me. They remembered helping us out and uh, to be with them under a joyful circumstance with my daughters who were on the receiving end of that pretty bad phone call that we were coming home was just a unbelievable great experience there to huh. you know look out over that beautiful valley and you know see the cows and have a great yeah. meal this time with with a lot of joy not sadness so that was awesome that's great oh wow that's i really like the tying up those ends so what was it like yeah, yeah. what was it like on an international flight yeah so let me say a couple of comments about all of that. You know, certainly you got to wear the masks, and but but the planes were full um, right. uh, on the way on the way back to the U.S. Uh, there wasn't a seat available, and this is a seven eight seven. Um, you know, Madrid to Dallas, Fort Worth, and uh, we landed in Dallas. We probably had five international flights hit within twenty minutes, and we probably had a couple thousand people trying to clear customs. Uh, so it, it felt like, you know, aside from the masks that everybody was wearing, it felt normal. It just yeah. it was busy as can be. So wow. uh, the flights, you know, kind of had the same sort of feel that they always do, with the exception of the mask. But from an international perspective, it, you know, that word you just said, um, we missed you guys. I mean, I've walked with the Aussies two times, and uh, you guys were noticeably absent. Uh uh, you know, continent of Asia, you know, there's so many Koreans out there that love the Camino. We missed all of those guys. They just have such a passion for it. So uh, they were noticeably absent. And then South America is pretty locked down still. And you usually run into a lot of guys uh, from Brazil and, yeah. and South America and they were all gone. But 
other than that, you know, there was, you know, everybody else was there. You know, you, you had Europe there in force, uh, a lot of people from all over the continent. The Americans were really starting to show up. And, uh, you know, so that it still had that international flavor and appeal and different cultures and, you know, talking with people and exchanging views and how you see the world, all those conversations still got to take place. And so the Camino was normal that way with the exception of some of those demographics being missed and we, and we missed you guys, to be honest. So, yeah. Um, but, it, but it was, it was great. Yeah. Well, we'll be back there. I hope in, in the new year. So how worried Jason, were you, that you might get COVID, and I know that you're vaccinated. Yeah, think, you're vaccinated, but how worried were you that you might con- sort of catch it on the on the Camino? Yeah, because uh, you know, I, I think there's an appropriate amount of respect, by and large, as a blanket statement. The the Albergues are, you know, restricted uh, by law to, to only allow so many people in, and just with the numbers being down, uh, especially as you got past Pamplona and the Camino naturally thins out, as you recall, there's yeah. just, uh, you know, it, it's kind of bottled up through Pamplona, then it kind of spreads out. And there are many albergues where my daughters and I, we, you know, we'd check in and we'd be the only ones there. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'd say I was never worried about it. And I think having contracted COVID, you know, medically, you're just probably not going to get it again. Your T cell immunity is so good. And, uh, also being vaccinated, you know, the risks are super, super low. So I, I wasn't scared about contracting COVID or getting sick and, and neither were my daughters at all the whole time that we were out there because of maybe belief in, in the vaccines and all that kind of thing. But I'll tell you what, you had to get tested to get back into the U.S. three days before you, you got home. And uh, my daughter's about ready to head off to university about, you know, 1,200 kilometers from home here. And uh, they leave next week, and uh, I, I was sitting there saying, "Oh God, please don't let one of us have a positive test, because then we got to quarantine over there for ten days." And when your when your Camino when it's finished, and you hear Buen Camino for the last time, and you take your backpack off, and you shower up, and you're walking around Santiago for a couple of days, you're you're kind of, you know, your your pilgrimage in a lot of ways. At least the Camino, it, it's it's done until you know you, you continue with your pilgrim lifestyle which i really believe in but you're not out there on the trail any longer and in, in a lot of regards you're you mentally switch into i'm ready to come home and uh with what my daughters were looking at in terms of getting ready to you know get squared away to travel a long way to go to school and be gone for six months at a time they they were ready to come home, and I was, at that point, I was like, "Oh, please, let's not get a positive test." We weren't worried about getting sick by any stretch, though. So you have to have a test in Santiago and then wait three days, or did you get a test, uh, so, or, or could you get so, a test? So the way that it works, yeah, yeah. So the way that it works here for Americans, and this is for a lot of countries, um, it practical, you know, block and tackle stuff. Um, you have to, you have to have a. Uh, negative COVID test, and it can be in r- a rapid antigen test. And you can book that online through the Madrid airport. It's at T4, where most of the international uh, flights come into and they depart from. And we just, uh, we had booked an online, you know, uh, appointment for three of us. And they're open from two in the morning until uh, 10 p.m. It 
they have a four hour close period, but um, we booked that several weeks in advance. I think it was 26 euros or 25 euros or something each test. And uh, you know, you, you just show up and as long as you have your test three days before your flight, um, the airlines are kind of the gatekeepers. Uh, they, they check and they look at your paperwork to make sure you got a negative COVID test and they let you on the flight. But clearing customs back to the U.S., they don't ask about it because they know at the departure that you've already shown that or you wouldn't be on that flight. So, um, But Madrid's airport is in Barcelona has it as well. Uh, you can you can book that stuff online. There's plenty of COVID tests in Santiago, but the rule is uh, three days prior to your departing flight, and it's very easy to to get those tests in a lot of places. Uh, and then you know you can get back home no problem. Right on. So take us back then to those little towns you talked about, um, Sahun and and I think about places like Relegos and and Astoria. And oh, just this Estella and Palace del Rey and all those wonderful little towns. What are they like? Are the bars open? Are the cafes open? Are, and how many albergues are open? I'd say I'd say half the albergues, half the pensions and hostels is kind of what it felt like. Just and that's not scientific. That's just kind of anecdotal. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, looking as you're walking through and. Um, but, but the bars and the restaurants and the people are coming out into the town squares at night and they're having their drinks at, you know, six or seven and dinners at eight or nine and, uh, Spain, they're, they're on with living. I mean, the, the big towns for ghosts was just bustling around the cathedral, just like, like normal, except right. for everybody was masked, right? But the cafes were packed and the boulevards were packed and, uh, some of the small towns that rely on the Camino, uh, and you mentioned uh, Religios uh, out there in the Meseta. That was awesome. You know, the Meseta is always quiet, right? There's so many people that either skip the Meseta or, you know, they deal with it or they're going to deal yeah, with it. Yeah. But it, it's flat like we are here in Kansas. And so that's home. And uh, But we were out there and we were walking for a couple days and you just don't see that many pilgrims. But Religios, we, we walked in and there were groups of four, groups of five, there were probably 25 or 30 pilgrims that we saw within a 30-minute period, all piling into a couple different bars for lunch. And uh, I I told the girls, I said, this is what it feels like. This is the Camino. And, um, you know, some of the different hostels, like Robinall, or sorry, uh, Robinall with the, you know, the the Brits that run that one, that one's closed. Sadly, they do hospitality so well there, but it's closed. But Sahagun, they've got the Maris that run the the one uh, albergue there, and they were open. And you had community mass, you had community tea together, faith sharing, but we couldn't do a community dinner. And and all that's understandable, but that felt normal. Uh, So... Uh, the sisters at the convent in Lyon, that place was packed. There, I mean, there were uh, probably a hundred and some pilgrims at Lyon. It's, that's a big jump off point for those listeners that, that haven't done the Camino yet. Lyon's a pretty big starting spot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we saw hundreds of pilgrims in Lyon. And again, it, being in the city that night and, and all of that walking in, it was this, this is what the Camino feels like. So that, that was very normal. So there, there were elements that were, just great and felt felt like uh, the Camino should. And then there were moments where, yeah, you could tell that, you know, this thing was still in the reawakening stage. 
uh, Astorga, tons of pilgrims. Again, another pretty big uh, liftoff place. Uh, what, what I'd tell you too is, and and I kept all this, you know, kept all the notes here and everything. We were able, you know, we're, we're Catholic, Dan, and the girls are about ready to go to, you know, the U.S.'s premier Catholic university here. And, and I know you talked to the American Pilgrims from Camino on the feast. Uh, they had that at South Bend, Indiana. That's uh, the University of Notre Dame. And my daughters are heading there to go to school with oh. their brother and, and another uh, kid that we uh, friends had passed away that have lived with us for their last couple of years of high school and everything. So we'll have four of them up there at school together at Notre Dame, where you did your uh, your talk and, and shared awesome. your songs. We, you know, we we were in Spain walking, uh, but that's that's where they're heading off to, to school anyway. But um, yeah, so I, I'd say you know certainly elements of uh, you know it, it's it's waking up it. it feels normal. Um, yeah. And, and uh, you know, at, at Astorga, uh, we were able to catch mass and, and uh, you know, that the Camino is a big piece of our faith life. And I looked at it right before we talked here, we were able to get the mass or a prayer service um, a little more, probably about 60% of the time. So, and, and I think on the Camino in a normal year, you're pretty much, no matter where you're going to stay, you're going to be able to find at least a night prayer service or a pilgrim's blessing at most places. Um, so I, I was pleasantly surprised with the availability of, you know, being able to go to mass and, and all of that the, until you got to Santiago. And then it's lines like you wouldn't believe. I mean, one, it's a holy year Two, you know, at the time, 1,400 to 2,000 pilgrims a day over that you know, we got there the 21st and through the 25th. Those were the numbers uh, that were solidly coming into Santiago at the Pilgrim's office. If you look that up every day, kind of 1,400 was low end and 2,100 was the high end and everywhere in between over that four or five day period. And they're only letting 250 people into the cathedral at once. So we were extremely fortunate to get to go to the 7.30 p.m. mass on the 24th, the eve of the feast, uh, and, uh, you know, they, we, we had to be in there super early two and a half hours yeah. early before mass to, to get in. But, uh, sadly, you know, there's, you know, over a thousand pilgrims a day that aren't able to get in just because of the lines to, to go to mass. But if you're willing to wait in line, you're going to get through and be able to walk through the cathedral and you can go venerate in front of the tomb, but you can't go up the stairs and hug the statue like we all do. Maybe, you know, hug him and rub his head and, and uh, all of that stuff. That's really adds such a rich character to, you know, the pilgrim mass when it's happening and you see all those pilgrims kind of milling about the church and then walking down and while mass is happening, you just see that steady stream of pilgrims giving the uh, statue of St. James a hug uh, right behind the altar there. And uh, it's a beautiful distraction. It's the best distraction, right? To yeah. just see how many people are there because uh, they've accomplished such a big feat. So you can get in, you can do those things, but if, if it's going to mass, you, you got to be, you know, you got to want to do that and carve your Camino out to make it happen. But we were pretty pleased being able to do all of that in a pretty normal fashion. Do you have to wear a mask while you walk? No, absolutely not. I mean, even even the local restrictions, uh, it, now provinces and, and, you know, Leon's different than Galicia is different yeah. than La Roja, all that stuff. They, they all have their different restrictions, but... 
it's it's really not practical, uh, you know, to walk with a mask. And I'd say we'd see one out of every thirty pilgrims wearing a mask. Right. Uh, and when you're in, when you're in the cities, I mean, the Garda Civil, you know, the police, they're there, they're all masked up and all that. But I didn't see one interaction with authorities, uh, you know, telling pilgrims to put their masks on. And some in the bigger cities might do that. Uh, but, you know, you're pretty much kind of trucking through. And when the moment you walk into a shop for your coffee or you walk into an albergue, you just clip it off your backpack or, you know, pull it out of your pocket, mask up to go check in and that kind of thing. And and you respectfully follow those rules. But when you're outside, I'd say you, you, you just didn't see much of it at all was my experience. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, not to editorialize about it, but it, it's kind of, it's cumbersome to walk with a mask. It, you know, it was hot out there and I, I, I would, if you had to wear a mask, I, I don't know that I would have done it. Just it's too hot, too uncomfortable, and uh, that that would have been tough to do. We all know the old days, 90 people in an albergue, shared showers and shared bathrooms and all. What's the new reality? Are they operating at a certain percentage of capacity? And and can you, you do, do you all still share showers and facilities just like old times? Yeah, Ron's as well as shared showers, you know, and mm. And all of that. Um, so that that's all very normal, um, especially on the hygiene side with, you know, showers and bathrooms and all that. But uh, they, they've done, you know, roughly 50 percent of the capacity. So there may be, you know, nobody on top bunks or every other bed, right. you know, sort of thing. Or, you know, ones that have a certain, you know, several different rooms in their dormitories that, you know, they'll. If, if there were groups that were coming together, they had no problem putting you in with your groups. And and uh, otherwise, that, that's really, it was just a numbers limitation uh, that you saw. And then that obviously, uh, when we got to Saria, right, that's that's a different Camino, as we've all discussed in the past, is the Camino nature changes because that's where, I don't know, 75, 80% of all the pilgrims join up to, yeah. to go get their Compostela. And with that at that point, with 50% of the albergues closed and 50% uh, capacity, you, you need to book ahead. You, I mean, you should get, you know, either on booking.com or, you know, make sure you've got Camino Ninja, you know, that, that's a very helpful app or Grons or, you know, one of those things that gives you a list of all the open albergues and call ahead. And even if they're booked out on booking, that none of those places are showing all of their rooms to booking. Um, so, we, we never were without a room. And in 2016, we were. And everything was open in 2016. But in 2016, we had to keep hiking, uh, you know, another five kilometers, another six kilometers to find a place to lay our heads down at the end of the day because it was so crowded. And, yeah. and here in 2021, with it being a holy year and, you know, that many pilgrims coming into Santiago, yeah, I'd, I'd say uh, depending when you're, you know, when you go, I think if you get out there, you know, later September, October, it might cool down a little bit and still more and more albergues may, may open up for a little bit, but then they'll quickly be closing for the season. But, uh, some of the pressure will be off here, uh, at, I'd say here at the end of this month of, in August, because you know, kids go back to school and there's, there's a lot of those, you know, younger people that are out there on their you know, summer breaks and all of that, but that was crowded. Yeah. Do you think it's the same vibe as before? 
Um, yes, yes and no. Um, it, you know, the, the Camino stories and the Camino, uh, magic that we refer to and the Camino angels and, uh, you know, we, we had all of that. So yeah, absolutely. If you're thinking about going and you can go, go, I'd say, I mean, yeah. if, if you're being called to it, you're drawn to it, you're thinking about it. I mean, go and, and things are going to get taken care of for you. It's, it, it will work out. Um, it's, it's definitely the same vibe. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. So in, in 2019, um, well, let, let me, let me start here. 2021 here a couple weeks ago, uh, we're in Robin hall and we, back in 19, my wife and it's, we'd stayed at the last place out of Robin hall on the left. It's called, uh, hostel Gaspar and they had a wonderful dinner, great rooms and all that. And, and this year we're down by the main Albergay. And when, when it's my daughters and I, we spend about half the time in Albergays. Other times it might be just the same price to get a private room. And we grabbed a private room right by that Albergay, uh, that's off the, the main road. And it's, you know, two blocks South of the way there. Yeah. And uh, so that's where we stayed. And uh, my daughters had met these great group of, you know, young, faithful people from Croatia, from uh, interestingly, a couple of guys from Mexico were able to get in. I, I'm not sure exactly how they got on the Camino, but they did. And uh, some guys from Pamplona, Italy, uh, France, there's just this really great group of, of really fired up young people. And my daughters were spending all afternoon hanging out with them and, and doing their thing. And it got to be dinner time. And then they said, Hey, we're going to be, when you walk up to the way, take a, take a right. And you remember Robin all it's uphill the whole way. Yeah. And uh, I looked down downhill and I said, I'm not going downhill. I'm going to where Chrissy and I had dinner a couple of years ago. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I walk one block to the left and go to uh hostel Gaspar and I'm having a great dinner talking to some people who are right near me. And, um, they're from Columbus, Ohio, and really enjoyed talking to them, making their acquaintance. And they just started in Astorga that day and were keen to learn lessons about, hey, what do we do? What, you know, uh, asking tips and advice and tell them, hey, tomorrow's tough when you walk up to Cruz de Ferro. That, you know, it's like walking uh, down again from Ross's Falls to Zabiri. It's that real tough shale. And, carved out slick rock and make sure you got poles and be careful. That's more technical walking. So just kind of have that kind of conversation. Then my daughters, they kind of mull in and, and I introduced them to these guys and uh, to these folks, uh, this wonderful couple from Columbus. And then there's a guy sitting with his back to me and he's maybe, I don't know, six feet away at a table and he's got this shirt on and it's a very famous brand for fishing gear here in the U S if you, do any fishing in the Gulf Coast or anywhere. This is very, you know, recognizable brand called Huck, H-U-K. And I see this guy's back of his shirt that says Huck. And I just I yell out to him real quick. I said, hey, you're American. I, and he's like, yeah, you know. And so I recognize the shirt, you know, kind of where do you fish? And he's like, oh, I'm from Miami. And I'm not kidding you. Uh, his his uh Partner's taking a bite of food, and he looks up, and he looks at me, and I about lose my mind, and uh, it's, the guy looks at me, and he says, Jason, and I no. said, holy cow, we walked together in 2019, right here, we started right here in uh, Hotel Gaspar, where we're having 
uh, dinner, you know, 20 months later. Uh, so had my daughters not walked as fast as they did, we would have never been up there. Had I turned right, I wouldn't have run into them, but I turned left and, uh, Myself and Chrissy and John and Andrew, we'd met up in 2019 and we'd walked together. We had dinner the next night in Mullen a second, 2019. And, uh, you know, that night was the only night we got to see him here a couple weeks ago. But uh, John immediately stands up and he says, I'm going to take a picture together with you. And I'm sending it. He had Chrissy and it is WhatsApp. And he sent her a note and with a picture of him and I saying, guess who I'm having dinner with your husband, right? <laughs> you just can't make this stuff up. Uh, we hadn't been in touch and said, you know, that we were going to do the Camino again. And uh, interestingly, back in 2019 in Molna that was the last time we saw him there, uh, his, his buddy Andrew got super sick and they had to end their Camino right then and there in Molna That was the last evening that they had walked and then they flew back to the U.S. So they're their Camino got cut short there in Molnaseca, and uh, here we are, you know, 20 months later, and you know, on the Camino in a foreign country, both from the U.S. and we met at, you know, met at the same place where uh, he had been playing piano uh, 20 months ago for for all of us in that hotel. It was just that's bananas. amazing. <laughs> what a great story. Ah, oh, the world yeah, is yeah, so, so small, isn't it? It's just great. it is. It's so great. Oh, that's great. I know exactly where you're talking about too. I've spent a bit of time in Rabanel. I, I really love it. Uh, it's a great town, really a great town. And there's those two albergues down on the highway down at the bottom half of the lower yeah. half of the town there. Yeah, I played, I played guitar uh, there one night. They pulled the guitar off the wall and we sang all night. It was just such a great yeah, in that, in, there's the municipal, then there's the private with the yeah. great courtyard. And, yeah, it was in that courtyard. That's where yeah. we were playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got exactly, the exactly. Yeah, they've got the um. Oh, gee, I don't know what they're called now, but the the cockle shells on the boards, um, that they use to thresh wheat. I don't know if you have, have you ever seen them. It's you go down into that courtyard, and at the very back of the courtyard, there's a room there, and if you ask the bartender, will take you in a. And they've collected all these antique threshing boards and they're all lined the walls and the ceiling and everything with threshing boards. No, I didn't see them. No, oh, I didn't it's see them. out of this world. It's just like... Next time. Yeah, Next yeah, time. it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> so what about walking into churches, cathedrals, um, lighting a candle, going to mass? You mentioned um, reduced capacity in Santiago, but what about in the small towns? Um, did you have any difficulty? Yeah, you know, kind of... Kind of, you know, some were locked, but a lot were open. You yeah. could, you know, that's what we do. We'd pop in and we'd just say a quiet prayer. And uh, if, if it was evening, those were the chances for mass, especially in, you know, the bigger towns. Yeah. And, you know, kind of a funny story. We were in Malid, or I might be pronouncing it wrong, and, and the Pulpo guy's there. He's, you know, yeah. giving octopus to all pilgrims as they pass by. And I'm not, I'm, there's no way I'm not going to go in there and, you know, yeah. have my daughters try Pulpo when yeah. we're entering into Gleason. So we're in there and then we go stay at this albergue and, and it's one of the few, uh, we were in a room together and there were probably, I don't know, 12 beds or something. And my daughters and I were in a couple. And then these two guys, they, they walk in and they're from Poland. They didn't speak, uh, English, but I could communicate with them in German. They could speak Spanish. Uh, and so we talked a little bit kind of, you know, chit chatted. And then we went out for the evening and, you know, we're, we're going to uh, go to mass and we look up on the altar and 
there's those two guys and they're a couple Catholic priests from Poland. <laughs> and, uh, so they're, they're saying mass. And yeah, so that was kind of cool. We were, you know, at mass together with the, with our roommates uh, who were from uh, Krakow, Poland, where St. Pope John Paul II was from. And huh. so that was kind of cool. They came back later that night and we had gone to dinner with, uh, you know, ourselves and, and they, they brought dinner back into the Albert day. And, uh, you know, we chatted just a little bit. Wow. I didn't know you guys were priests. So, you know, yeah, you, you could, you could have that kind of experience and no kidding, uh, at the, at the pilgrims, you know, 730 mass on the feast of, uh, St. James, the eve of the feast on the 24th, those two guys that, uh, we got communion from them. They're celebrating that same mass in Santiago, you know, several days later. So again, the, the Camino is pretty small world. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so you could get into the churches, you could, you know, light a candle, you could say your prayers, you know, some of them, certainly closed uh santa domingo uh kind of a quirky story and i don't mean to make light of it it, at all but you know the the main cathedral was closed we got there kind of late and we were looking for a mass they told us hey there's going to be a mass over in the old and i can't remember exactly you know what it was but it's the church off the kind of where all the locals hang out and it's not on the camino itself it's more towards as your exit in santa domingo de la calzada and uh, there is a, a church up there, and it's it's more of a museum now, but they actually have a church there. And so we went up, and people told us there's sometimes a mass up there. We went in, and we're sitting in the back, and, you know, my daughters are pretty good at Spanish. And uh, they, they, they said to me, hey, why is the priest wearing purple? And holy cow, you know, it, it was a funeral. Um, oh. And we I don't mean to make light of it, but we crashed a funeral. Like, that wasn't our intent, but... Uh, it was mass and we respectfully sat there and they could tell me a little bit about what, you know, the priest was saying about, you know, life and death and all of that. And so it was kind of beautiful. And a lot of the community was there and, uh, we, you know, we kind of felt like we're in your sacred space, but no one, you know, looked, uh, looked at us, you know, weirdly or anything like that. And, uh, so we were able to attend mass. It was just, uh, happened to be a funeral. So, um, yeah, you know, we, we were able to get into churches, go see them, you know, Burgos is open, Leon's open, uh, Santo Domingo del Casada is open. All the big ones are, are open. If you want to go tour those, or you want to go to mass at them, like I said, I caught mass at Astorga, I caught, you know, uh, so, so they're out there, uh, if, if you're seeking that, um, and they're kind of that invitation that you that you receive on the Camino. I, I wouldn't say at all it's a bunch of locked doors one after another. Yeah, because the, the that's one of the great things about um, visiting a lot of those cathedrals and churches. You get a stamp and you can remember that, that moment in time. Are you able to get stamps like you always have been? Yeah, the cellos on mm. your credentials, which are, you know, most pilgrims, it's your most prized possession. You yeah. you know, we all have them framed on our walls, and you look at them periodically, and each stamp's different. And uh, my daughters, God bless them, I love them to death. They uh, they chronicled their Camino. They've got so many photos, and we just were looking at them today. They're great. Um, my my daughter uh, actually has a video in Legrano. We were at the cathedral, went to Mass, We you know, 
And not a lot of pilgrims know this, right? You, if, if you're at Mass, go talk to the priest afterwards. There's not a noticeable uh, cellos at the cathedral, you know, at over in the corner. You just go talk to the priest. He invites you right back to the sacristy, and, you know, he'll stamp your credential for you. And so he was talking to them. This was super impressed with their Spanish, and they're carrying on. And my, my uh, twin daughter was taping her twin, getting her stamp, and she, uh, we, we have it on video the next day. Uh, my daughter said, oh, my gosh, where's my credential? Do you have it, Dad? And, and they go back and they look. And on the video, they kind of got carried away in their conversation. And uh, they miss, you can see uh, my daughter walking away from her credential. So she lost it after having, you know, 15, 20 stamps in it. Mm. And she was just heartbroken. Um, and I don't say this to pat myself on the back by any stretch, but I was like, hey, I've got one of those before. We've got roughly the same stamps here. Take mine and I'll get a new one. And I'll explain it once we get to uh, Santiago. That we Yeah, we start at the same place and they didn't have hassle us when we got a Compostela, but uh, Gabby's credentials got, uh, my name on it with her name next to it, which is kind of cool. So <laughs> yeah, all the stamps are out there and the, the, you know, the, they're, they're all unique and you can get them all over as many stamps as you want. Yeah. Oh, great. Oh, that's such a great story. You're, you're involved with young people, with mentoring people in your community and you're trying to encourage people to live a life of faith. Um, and Father Emil Capon was a great mentor and and leader in your community. And that means believing in a better day, a, a brighter future, a new tomorrow, as it were. What are you teaching people about how to cope with COVID-19? And what do you think young people will think when they look back on 2020 and 2021? And what can they learn from us, the older generations, and our attitude to all of this? Yeah, that that's a great question, and um, you know, you know, I think you know, depending on where you're at, uh, you have a different experience with COVID and uh, the severity of it here, and it certainly hit the U.S. super hard. We lost a lot of people. Um, it, it was super hard on specific folks, and churches were closed for months at a time, and. But, but we we reopened relatively fast and, you know, kind of got back to the normal normal things. But one of the things we did during that was uh, we couldn't meet. And so our face sharing that we, you know, we like to thank. I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of Pope Francis. He's, uh, he's just, I really appreciate um, uh, how he thinks about the world. And, and I think the church kind of gives you the Pope that you need at, at the time where you're at. And uh, he's a Jesuit. I'm Jesuit educated. My wife is. And, and uh, he really focuses in on this concept of the church needs to face outward. And uh, for a lot of years, you know, maybe hundreds, maybe a thousand years, the church a lot of times is focused very inward and in what's happening in the walls. And and he's really got this concept of being a field hospital. The church has to be out there and minister you know, in the streets where, you know, the dirty, scarred, broken and bruised and where people need us. And it's not just, you know, the one hour that you're at weekly mass. It's, you know, what are you doing with all those other hundred plus hours a week and how are you living your faith out? And um, so kind of with that thinking of, you know, the certainly the, the mass is our source and summit. The Eucharist is is the main prayer of the church every day. But 
you know, how do you go live outside of that? How are you church in a different way? And the Camino offers us the opportunity to kind of be an outward facing church. And some of those lessons during COVID here, you kind of just practice the same thing. Well, I may not be able to go to my church, but how, how am I still the church outside of maybe the sacrament itself or, you know, that one hour you know, service. And uh, so we started a podcast and focused on Father Capon's virtues, and we got to talk to a lot of the POWs uh, um, that are on our video series. They helped us out with, uh, you know, with different episodes of what Father Capon was like and, you know, how he did the things that he did, how he led. We talked to other Medal of Honor recipients from the United States, from the Vietnam War, and uh, other highly decorated uh, military folks, a guy that's become a pretty good friend of mine who's uh, the Judge Advocate General of the United States Navy and had 10,000, you know, attorneys from uh, reporting to him. He ran the entire, you know, uh, naval uh, legislator, sorry, legal process. Uh, we So we've talked to highly decorated, you know, uh, senior uh, flag officers um, on this podcast that just share their stories of faith and share their, uh, you know, how they live their life out. And so that's kind of what we did during lockdown. And uh, we've been able to keep that thing going for 75 weeks now. And uh, lo and behold, uh, back in March here, uh, we got a phone call to Cape uh, Capon family, Ray, who is uh, Father Capon's uh, nephew. He got a call from the Department of Defense that we never thought we'd hear, and that was that uh, his remains had been identified. We, oh. uh, you know, a lot of us had suspected that you know he might still be uh, in Korea, um, but we we never knew. I mean, there's so many unidentified uh, missing service members from all over. Uh, you know, there's probably some from Australia that have fought in foreign wars. You just never can, no. uh, you never can find, find the remains from the battlefields or, you know, in his case, the prisoner of war camp. Uh, but he was identified in a U.S. cemetery in Hawaii that's aptly named the punch bowl. It's, uh, you know, the cemetery, the national cemetery out there is, uh, you know, part of a volcanic crater, kind of got a curvature like a punch bowl and his remains were identified in March and they contacted, uh, the family that, uh, we get to bring him home. So, uh, that's a really inspirational thing for, uh, not only Kansas, this priest from Kansas, who's the highest decorated chaplain in the United States military or United States army history. Um, he's, you know, he's also a, you know, national figure. He's uh, he's a man of service. So it's, it's national news here in the U.S. It's international news. And uh, without a body, you can't have a funeral. So the most he had back in 1951 was a memorial service because uh, we didn't know where he was. And uh, amazingly, his remains are 98 percent intact uh, when he was identified. And here, September 28th, we get to have a Vigil, um, which is going to be a Vesper service, night prayer, evening prayer for the dead, or rosary, and wow. uh, United States Military Academy, West Point here, the flagship uh, military academy here, and United States Air Force Academy. Uh, we're just humbled as can be from Colorado Springs so, uh, and West Point, New York. Uh, those guys are coming. They're sending uh, the men and women uh, who are in school. Uh, being trained to be officers in the United States military. 
Uh, they're sending their choirs to sing for us. We've got a lot of senior military officers, uh, com- you know, the commanders of his unit that he served in, 1st Cavalry Division from Texas, and the Big Red One Infantry Division, which is a, you know, the very the very historical, famous, you know, fought in yeah. all the wars, you know, uh, and and defended our freedom. Uh, just like Father did to to minister to those soldiers, those were the men and women that he served, and they're all coming back here to Kansas in September for uh, for that vigil, and then uh, the 29th that morning we get to do a, a proper funeral, and his remains will be placed in a tomb in the cathedral here in Wichita, and uh, that we think uh, you know with having that news and and actually having found him, as you said in your introduction, he's one of only very few people here in the United States we're such a young country uh, who's been bestowed the title servant of God. And in 2015, we took the Pozitio, uh, our Bishop Kemi, he, uh, Carl Kemi took the uh, Pozitio and presented it to um, the congregation for cause of saints. And, uh, you know, they're considering it and he's passed through the historical committee uh, very quickly and he's at the theological committee there. You know, it's a thousand plus page document. The church makes saints exceedingly slow and they do that very diligently. And there's a process. But um, the the news and momentum is really there's just a great energy and it's very much, you know, we're looking at who gets to participate and, you know, this is a very long winded answer to your question to talk about how do you, how do you kind of model that to youth and everything. And we get to have all of our, the youth of our, you know, diocese here in our Catholic schools and, and our community here, you know, we're going to have a parade route. That's not the right, a procession route. It won't be a, a parade per se, but uh, we'll have Father process uh, from uh, from the funeral mass, and we'll have him. You know, our idea is to have him on a horse-drawn kaisan uh, through the streets of Wichita, Kansas, on his way to with all the you know firefighters and police and first responders and military line, and then all our kids from our Catholic schools here in here in Kansas get to line those streets and. Uh, honor father's service uh, before he's entombed uh, at a final resting place and gets to rest here back home in his home uh, and uh, you know home state of Kansas he's of course you know from a small town 60 miles north of Wichita um, but he, he gets to come home and that's really really important for us so we were able to do a lot of neat work on behalf of that during COVID and uh, hopefully now that it's kind of you know, we're reaching different stages in COVID and we're back to mass and normalizing. Um, you know, I, I think some of the lessons in that are you, you, you don't give up. And, and I don't mean to minimize anybody's loss. You, 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 when I say you don't call a game on account of rain, I mean, we we still, you know, we're all called to kind of keep living and, and uh, live our faith out regardless. So, you know, there's been centuries of really and 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 really long periods of darkness in, in the church, you know, where plagues and, you know, war and famine and all, yeah. you know, all kinds of stuff, but yeah. you, you got to keep going. And I think that's some of the lesson here that Father taught his guys in the POW camps, and we just got to keep going and, and keep the faith and have hope. And uh, I think we're seeing some of the fruits of that here with having found them, and hopefully that sun's rising here on the backside of COVID at uh, to a new day. Yeah, wow, great stuff. 
Well, I, I am sure that you and your community take great comfort from the fact that you're gathering under the blessing of Father Emile Capone. It's a great story, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today, Jason, sharing the reality of the Camino just in this last month. So thank you for what you do and for your community to want to honour Father Capone as well. Thank you for that Camino update. Buen Camino, my friend. Buen Camino, Dan. It's great to talk to you. Uh, really enjoy connecting again. My guest this week was Jason Searle. Jason and his community honours Father Emil Capone. Jason is part of what's called Capone's Men. And you can find the videos and podcasts via Capone's Men, K-A-P-A-U-N-S-M-E-N, Capone'sMen.com. In these uncertain times, we can learn so much about those who have endured so much. I'm not suggesting we can be brave like those who have gone to war. But we can offer support to those around us. Try to be strong for those who need it. Try to show kindness like a pilgrim. Try to listen like a pilgrim. You'll find your rhythm like you did on the Camino. And that pace and comfort will be a salve and comfort to others. In the meantime, don't lose hope. When the sun goes down, the stars come out. (laughs) Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way Somewhere